if you haven't been with us the majority of this year, so many of our visitors and those um, who might not have been with us the last couple weeks, we are nearing the end of our study of 1 Corinthians. We're actually in the middle of chapter 15, but before we get into chapter 15, who can tell me some of the things that you discussed last week in your small group for small group night? If you were here, what are some things that you discussed in 1 Corinthians 15 in your small group? Anybody? You can look in your scripture notebook. You have a resource that should have all the answers. I just need one student to tell me what's one thing you guys discussed as a small group in your small group night. Joa, you got some? Yeah, that, that counts. What what question did we go over? Right. We started our discussion of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means. Um, and Paul and, and him trying to uh, teach the Corinthian church of why that is important. See, simple as that. Just even talking about what we discussed, and he got candy, so it's good to take notes and underline things, right? All right, tonight, as we start off, I want you to imagine a situation. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do a scary thing. I want you to close your eyes. I know, right? Imagine a scenario with me. You're sitting in a room in your house. You're doing a hobby that you enjoy. Could be maybe, for some of you, playing video games. Could be reading a book, some form of artwork. Envision this with me. You're in a room doing a hobby. You might be watching TV or something else that you really, really enjoy. You're in the middle of what you're doing when your mom or your dad, they come into the room and say, hey, I want your help in cleaning the kitchen. Your first reaction, if I had to guess, is probably not one that drops whatever you're doing in that moment and right then and there, going to help your mom or your dad. You can open your eyes. Uh, how many can relate with this situation? Anybody? Yes, you're in an activity, something that you really enjoy, and you're asked to do a chore, and you hesitate. You don't jump up right at it. In fact, they might have to ask you two or three times to help with a certain chore before you actually do it. How many of you, raise your hands would receive this request from your parent with joy. No one? With joy. You, you're like, I am ready to do whatever you want me to do, mom or dad. No? Okay. Think of this situation again that I just described. But what if your mom or your dad added, if you help me clean the kitchen, then I'll buy any one item of your choosing from any store of your choice. How many of you now would receive this request from your parent with joy and be like, I will gladly stop what I'm doing, and I will do whatever you want me to do. If I get whatever I want from wherever I want, yes, I will gladly do that. What changed? Why do you now have joy all of a sudden in helping your parent clean the kitchen? What changed? What, give me some re reasons why you now want to help your mom or your dad clean the kitchen. Jack? 
Sure, you're going to get some. You know you're going to get some return. Elena, do, do you have a different answer? No, that was kind of it, yeah? There is a reward for something. Yes. Yes, you really want her to buy that thing for you, yeah? You don't want to, maybe some of you don't want to miss out on the opportunity to get something, an opportunity that your parent says, I'll buy you anything. You don't want to miss that, right? Kate, you got another answer? Sure. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah, yeah. Wanting our parents to serve us could definitely be a, a motive for sure. Yes, what about, I mean, Kate touched on this jokingly, but what about doing it because you selflessly love your mom or your dad? Maybe you want to help because of all the things that they have done for you. They've provided for you. They've shown love in various ways for you. Now, I, I give you this scenario because I think we're often tempted um, to obey God. I'm going to shift focus from parents to our relationship with God. I think we're often tempted to obey God in order to get something that we want or in order to avoid some sort of discipline. We are tempted to obey and find joy in the reward that we might get instead of simply finding joy in God and in His love for us. In our passage tonight that we're going to be going over, we're going to talk about how for believers, you know, we're on the winning side of the battle between life and death, between good and evil, and we will have eternal life. And as we read this passage, I want you to notice that Paul's desire for the Corinthians to obey God is based out of love for God and out of God's love for the believers in Christ, not only just because they know that they're going to get something in the end. So with that in mind, let's open our scripture notebooks. I'll have the uh, scripture on the screen as we uh, read 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 uh, through 28, and then we'll continue studying a little bit further. Remember, if you have a scripture notebook with you, fifth graders, Anytime we go through a book, we give out a scripture notebook, and we want you to take notes. We want you to underline. So for those students who have their scripture notebooks with them, underline things that stick out to you. Underline or circle things that you might have questions about, and so you can ask those questions in your small groups after the large group lesson is over. So let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28 to start. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he establishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts un everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all and in all. Now, if you haven't already underlined anything, I want you to go back, look at verse 22, and underline verse 22. 
Verse 22. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now we see two truths in this section. I think it's going to set the scene for this passage that we're going to first look at before we uh, move further into 1 Corinthians 15. In this first half that we're looking at right now, Paul is trying to set up a correct understanding of the resurrection. He's trying to set up and give the Corinthians good theology. Theology is basically the study of God uh, or something that pertains to uh, who God is. And so Paul is teaching the Corinthians, hey, this is what is true, what is right, and what is good. And, and this verse kind of captures the truth that Paul is telling the Corinthians. There's two parts to this truth. First part is, one, all humanity will die. First, we see that because of the sin of Adam and Eve, they were banished from the Garden of Eden. And one of the things that God told uh, them is, you know, as a result of being banished, like, you will die. And as a result, they and everyone else who'd ever lived on earth Will ex- has experienced physical death. Now, there's a, a joke out there. There's two s- things that are certain in life, death and taxes. For most of you, you don't know quite what taxes or have experienced having to pay taxes yet. But if I had a guess that there's some of you in here who have experienced with seeing the effects of death, you know, either an extended family member, maybe a grandparent for some of you, maybe a family friend, Maybe it's someone that you you know of or your parents know of. I'm sure some of you, at least, have experienced the effects of death. Death is is something that everyone will have to deal with sometime in their life until Jesus returns. The Bible is very clear what happens when a person dies. When a person dies, if you have a right relationship with God, if you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, your soul will be with God in heaven until the new kingdom and the new earth. But if you don't have a right relationship with God, if you aren't saved from your sins, then your soul enters into eternal torment in hell. And we see this in the second point that Paul makes, that all in Christ will be made alive. Two, and that's the second point. All believers will have eternal life. Just as all who are human, like Adam, the first human, experienced death, all who follow Jesus, who experienced a bodily resurrection, experienced life after dying, just as Jesus died and was raised back to life and had a new body, all believers, when they die, their souls go to heaven. Their bodies put into the ground where it decays. But when Jesus returns, believers who have died will be reunited with a new and perfect body. Believers who are alive at the time of Jesus, because that's a logical question of like, what if you're alive and Jesus comes back? Your body will actually be turned in an instant to its new form. We see this as we'll study 1 Corinthians 15 later next Sunday. So, for the believer... This is important to know because Paul's going to make a really bold statement in the second half of the passage that we're going to read. So this is really crucial for you to get this now. For the believer, when they die, their body goes in the ground, starts the decaying process. Their soul goes up to heaven, right, to be with God. And then when Jesus returns and Armageddon happens, end times stuff, read and revelation happens, Jesus sets up the new heavens and the new earth, and we see 
um, during that period of time, sometime in Revelation when Jesus comes back, that the believer will be reunited with a perfect body. This is good news, because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty much aware of that my body is not perfect, right? Like, I, I, I don't know about you, but, like, I experience pain, right? I, I, I notice where my body fails me, right? I don't know if you know this or if you've looked at or, or, or experienced that yourself, but we're told that with our new bodies, like, there, there is no more pain. There is no more sorrow, suffering, um, and, and our bodies will be perfect, will be perfect. And so this is key to understand in light of what Paul's going to say next. So let's read what Paul's going to say next because he, he says some pretty bold things to the Corinthian church. So 1 Corinthians 15, let's read verses 29 through 34. Let's go back to our scripture notebooks if you have them. 29 says, otherwise, he switches it. He's like, hey, this is what you need to know. Otherwise, what will they do when you're being baptized for the dead? Which is a weird concept. We'll talk about that later. If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? If I face death every day, as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do to me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrects good, corrupts good morals. Come to your senses. Stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. And I say this to your shame. Now, if you haven't already, underline verses 33 through 34. Underline verse 33 through 34. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses, stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. Okay, so Paul set up the first half of our passage that we looked at tonight. Good theology, good understanding of what happens when a believer dies and why it's important to hold on to the truth that there is a bodily resurrection. Why? Because in the second half, we see that there's some false teaching in the church. There's some lies that are being spread in the church. It'd be like this. It'd be like if we had some church people here at Cross Point. Let's say I can pick on somebody, right? Okay, let's say Joel for a moment because I know he can take it. Joel's an elder at our church in leadership, right? Let's say Joel started viewing Scripture in a way that was like, hey, I don't think the Bible is actually the Word of God. Now, Joel would never say that. He would never say that, right? Joel would never say that. But what if, what if he came to an understanding that he truly was convinced that the Bible was actually not inspired by God? Now, think about what Joel's position is. He's an elder. He teaches in Sun Chasers. He can start incorporating some of his thinking into the church, and it can really disrupt the life of the church. We would consider Joel a false teacher at that moment in time. Not that he would ever do that, um, by God's grace. Um, yes. Um, but Joel, but what if Joel started spreading that a little bit? This was essentially what the Corinthians were experiencing. People were spreading false teaching in the church. It's pretty important that you believe that the Bible's God's word, right? Because if you don't hold to that, what's truth? Right? And then you ask a lot more questions after that. 
So it's pretty important that you hold that the Bible is, is God's word. And Paul says it's also really important that you actually hold to this truth that believers will be resurrected. For Paul, this is an important truth. And I think it should be an important truth for us. Now, I, I want to point out a couple things that were going on in the church of Corinth. One, they were practi- practicing baptizing dead people. Kind of weird, right? Who thinks that's really weird? Practicing baptizing people who are dead. Basically what you do, let me describe what happens. What happens is you have someone who's alive. They are baptized in place of someone who is dead. And you're baptizing for the dead. Now, we all agree that this is kind of weird thinking, right? What if I told you that there is a group of people who claim to be Christ followers, popular people who, it's a fairly large group that claim to be Christ followers, but they actually do this. We would consider them to be false teachers. They don't actually hold to God's word. Um, There are a group of people, even in central Illinois, who are well-known that hold to this belief. There is a church, I use the word church loosely, a group of people that gather together called Mormons. You might have heard about them. They believe and practice this. Okay? So, Mormons, we can get a long discussion about that. We can say that for another time. You can ask questions in your small group if you have it about Mormons. Um, Kyle shaking his head, I will be in small group. It's fine. Yeah. Just ask Joel, yeah. Um, So, yeah, and so for Paul, this is a really important issue. Not just then, I would say this is an important issue for us today. So there's this false teaching that's going on, and Paul is using this analogy of baptizing the dead people. He's like, if you actually believe this and do this, why are you doing it if you don't believe that there's a point to the afterlife? I mean, not that Paul is condoning this by any means, but he's asking this question to kind of throw their ideology back in their face, that they are believing in something false. They're believing in a lie. Second thing that Paul is addressing as a false teaching is in verse 32. Verse 32, he says, you know, if the dead are not raised, and some of you are holding this truth, then the, the mindset that we should have is let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's not worry about sin. Let's just do whatever feels good to us. Because if, Paul makes this case before, if we don't have a resurrection, then Christ's resurrection was in vain, and really he didn't rise and everything's done in vain. So Paul's saying if you don't believe that believers have a bodily resurrection, then there is no point for you to submit to God's word. He's like, might as well just eat and drink, do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good, because there's no hope for you. That's, that's what he's saying. People who hold this view, that's how they're living their lives. And that's a very much a false teaching, because we know that we're not here to serve ourselves, right? We're here to serve God, serve others, submit ourselves to what God tells us to do. We're here to uh, love others, love God, to glorify God in all that we say and do. We're here not to serve our own selves to further our own kingdom, but to further God's kingdom. And so these are some of the ideas that um, Paul is refuting that's going on in the church. Now, this concept, this is where we get kind of practical here. Ready? Verse 33. I had you underline it before because this is really, really key to when we're talking about false teaching and 
holding on to good theology, a, a very much practical takeaway. Verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for people are ignorant about God. And I say this to your shame. You know, Paul says that they're sinning and having bad theology and not believing truth about who God is. Why? Because they're believing a lie. They're disregarding what is true and holding on to a lie. If, going back to my example of Joel, if you started saying the Bible is actually not God's word, hopefully someone in our church who loves Joel very much, I would even do this because I love Joel very much, I'd be like, Joel, like that, that thinking is, is sinful. It is, it is bad theology. Like it is believing a lie about who God is. You're spreading a lie. Like that is sinful. And I, I would hopefully bring it to his attention and knowing Joel, he would totally repent for it because he loves Jesus. Again, this is something Joel's not actually doing. Um, but in that moment, it is sinful to spread false teaching. And so Paul is calling out the people of Corinth. Like, hey, you're sinning in this. And so here, here's a question I want you to ponder. Not really a question, more of a statement. Who you keep around you will influence how you think. Who you keep around you will influence how you think. Verse 33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. And so in, in, if we're looking at this section of 1 Corinthians 15 as a whole, you know, Paul's giving good theology, and he's refuting bad false teaching. And his takeaway is like, hey, you should get away from those false teachers. Don't listen to what they're saying. Surround yourself with people who are actually believing truth so that you can live out your identity in Christ and glorify him in all that you say and do. He's saying, hey, Corinthians, don't you know who you keep around you will influence how you think, will corrupt how you think. And I say the same thing, students, whether you're a fifth grader coming into sixth grade next year or your current sixth through twelfth grade students, who you keep around you will influence how you think. I've seen many of students coming through Crosspoint, through Sun Chasers that all of you have gone through. Some of you are ending your time in Sun Chasers, fifth graders, right? Some of them have even participated in hype student ministry stuff, but then once they hit eighth grade, freshman, sophomore year, high school, the crowd that they have decided to hang out with does not hold or practice the truths that we see in God's Word, and what they have learned gets corrupted, and they start living a life contrary to the Bible. And so I think Paul's passage here, I think we can really pick out this practical warning for you, for me. I think this is Paul's warning to the Corinthians, is who around you do they practice what the Bible says? Do they live out what the Bible says? Or are the people around you, are they pulling you away from the person of Jesus? Are they influencing you to do things that we know the Bible says is sinful or wrong? And I think this is a really big thing as students to really think about. It is a very important topic to really um, spend some time and really, and really think about it. And we're going to discuss it further in small groups. But I just want you, if you have written down this question, I think, I think this is a key statement to ponder as it relates to your walk with Christ and how you can glorify God where you are right now, whether in school, at your house, if you have a job, 
on a sports team. I think this can be very applicable in your situation right now in your season of life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for tonight, Father God. We just uh, praise you for all the things that we can learn, that we can see, that we can study in your word. God, I thank you for this passage of 1 Corinthians 15 and being able to see uh, truth, being able to see um, that there, we can have joy, we can rejoice that we will have resurrected bodies because Christ has resurrected. God, I pray that for some of us. God, I pray that we would uh, let that reality sink in, that we would look forward to spending eternity with you. But God, at the same time, I pray that our motivation would come out of a love that you have for us to go and live a life that glorifies you. And God, that, that the reward that we get, that that is just a sweet add-on. That is a sweet add-on to knowing you. And I just pray that uh, no matter where each of these students or adults are in this room, including myself, God, I pray that we would be challenged uh, about having people in our lives around us pointing to you, showing Jesus to us, reminding us of the truths that we see in your word. And at the same time, God, while we have those people, I pray that we would be on mission to, to teach others, to witness to others who don't know you. I pray that we would just see the need, um, not only here, but worldwide, as we learned about Cambodia earlier tonight, just there is a need for the gospel. There's a lot of brokenness, brokenness and sin, and God, you call us, you use us to spread the gospel to further your kingdom. I pray that we would do that where you have us right now in our lives. God, we love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.